Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Chris Gordy. Chris, as always, man, appreciate you joining us. How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, I'm good, guys. I'm a little depressed. I mean, it's the last college football game of the season, and then we got to wait months and months and months. But here's hoping we get a good game tonight. Yeah, that's what I think what everyone's hoping for. And, you know, Georgia's obviously the betting favorite, overwhelmingly the betting favorite. They are the better team as far as talent goes overall. I think most people would say that. But yet, this TCU team just continues to prove a lot of people wrong. Do you think TCU proves people wrong again tonight against Georgia, or do you think that it's just going to be all Bulldogs? Yeah, I mean, like, I hate to give, like, a caveat, but, like, if TCU could come out and set the tone early and grab an early lead and, you know, maybe force a turnover or two of Georgia, kind of, you know, basically, like, catch Georgia napping. Like, you know, Georgia doesn't come out with the intensity and the fire that they need to. Uh, TCU hits a couple big plays. Suddenly they're up, you know, uh, 10 to 3 or, four, you know, 14 to 3, something like that. Like, yeah, then, then I think TCU's got a shot. But, like, their only chance in how this game plays out is getting into a shootout. You know, almost like both games were a week ago where the high-scoring affair, both offenses are doing what they want to do. I just don't think it's going to happen. Like, if you ask me what, what I think is going to happen, I think Georgia is the aggressor. I think they come out, they score early. Uh, keep in mind, TCU has played, had to play catch-up in a lot of games this year, and they've done well at it. So there's no deficit that, that will face them. Um, but that said, like, I've watched this Georgia team play all year. They they have the big play potential. They do have the big strike offense when they need to. But what they do so well is they go on those long, methodical drives where they rotate the backs, all three guys. You know, when, when Kenny McIntosh gets tired, here comes Kenny Milton. You know, they, they just – Kendall Milton. They just, like, rotate him in Dejon Edwards. And it's like a fresh leg back, and he comes in on first and ten and gets six, seven yards. And then it's a second and short. And then they convert. They throw to Brock Bowers. It's just they keep moving the chains, eating up clock. And, um, you know, I think that they will eventually wear down TCU in the trench, both offensive and defensive line, uh, in the fourth quarter. So I'm predicting maybe this thing's close for a half, maybe even close going into, thir- you know, after three quarters. But I think once we get into the fourth quarter, that's where we'll see the, the big dogs and Georgia's O-line and D-line shine. And, I think Georgia pulls away late. I said I said thirty-one seventeen. I think it's a little bit more defensive battle than we saw last week. But again, if TCU can come out and they're hitting Quentin Johnson for some big plays and they get no shootout, then we're talking about a game in the forties and last down with the ball wins. Mentioning high scoring game, you think that that's where TCU will have a chance, but do you see any advantage that TCU has, or is it just Georgia across the board when you look at some of the different variables in this game. Yeah, I mean the big play potential from Quentin Johnston and the pass game from from Max Duggan. He, you know, he can use his legs at times to to tuck it and run it. And he's a, he's a tough tough sob. I mean, he'll put his head down and he'll you know he'll he'll take some shots and it won't phase him. I mean, you guys saw him in the Big Twelve title game. He's all bloody and still going out there and battling. So uh, that's what I like about the kid. And and again, it's hard for you not to watch basically the last six quarters of what Georgia's defenses look like, and I'm including the second half of the SEC title game against LSU where, you know, they like Garrett Nussmeyer go up and down the field on them. And I had somebody go, oh, well, Georgia had their backups in. No, they didn't. Christopher Smith was in there. Keely Ringo was in there. All their starters were in there, and they were getting torched and beat on plays. Now, if you want to argue, oh, well, they had such a big lead. Who cares? No, 
okay, but we've seen Georgia put their foot on people first before and say, hey, no more. Um, you know, last week against uh, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, they got whatever they wanted in that passing game. Um, you know, so Marvin Harrison Jr. was was unguardable. They had no, uh, you know, no, um, you know, answered on covering him, and then he got hurt, and then the other guy stepped up. So I almost wonder if Georgia's going to take an approach tonight with Clinton Johnson and say we're going to bracket him, kind of take him away, you know, take away the over the top and make them have to play more underneath with him. Uh, that'll be interesting to see, but. Yeah, I mean, if TCU, like I said, if they win tonight, it's because of the big playability of Zach Duggan and, and being able to hit the big pass plays. And it is, it has been a weakness for Georgia, at least these last six quarters we've seen the defense out there. Chris, uh, I know that uh, there could be a two-parter to this whole question, but I, I am curious about if Georgia wins the national championship, uh, they'll be f- the first, at least in a long time, and one of very few teams that were able to win back-to-back national championships in college football, particularly in the college football playoff, what would that mean to not only their program but also into college football? Uh, some people may say they've already overtaken all these other teams, but just as far as the future under Kirby Smart, uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So what would that just mean to the game and to the sport of college football if Georgia is able to win back-to-back college football national championships? Well, for their program, it would be huge. I mean, keep in mind, this is a program that, you know, we talk about living in the past. You know, I, I, like I'm sure you guys have some friends who are Cowboys fans who always bring up the '90s, and I'm like, good God, you know how long ago that was? And that's how Georgia was the longest in 1980. It was like, you know, Herschel. You bring up Herschel Walker, people are like, oh, the politician. Like nobody remembers Herschel Walker, the player. Uh, at least you know the younger generation. So, um, you know, it, it was so big for them to finally get that monkey off their back last year and win the title. But to win a second straight. I think, I mean, it, it sets up Kirby Smart to be, you know, that we talk about the turning of the tide as, as Nick Saban, you know, if they're not back in the championship next year, you really start to question as the, has the paradigm shift from Alabama and Saban dominating this conference year in and year out to now Kirby Smart being set up because we're starting to see it already, guys. They lost a ton of guys to the draft this past year. And if you, you ask any loyal, diehard Georgia fan, like I got a couple of buddies who are, and they told me at the start of the season they thought this was a rebuilding year for them. Like they were like, "Yeah, we got Stetson Bennett back. We got a good, you know, good running back." But they thought all the guys they lost to the to the draft that they thought the defense was going to take a big step back, and they thought this would be kind of like a ten and two type season. Still win the still win the East, probably lose to Bama in the SEC title game and go to a Sugar Bowl. Like that was kind of what most realistic Georgia fans said to me before the season. And then when we saw them hit the field and how deep, you know, dominant the defense started to get as the season went along, it was like, well, wait a minute, this defense statistically they're they're about you know almost as dominant as last year's bunch, and the offense seemed to take a step forward. They you know they were hitting more big plays down the field. Stetson Bennett was more comfortable in this offense, you know, another year in it. So um, yeah, it was almost like Georgia got stronger in a lot of aspects this year. But yeah, I can't understate it. I mean, if they win a second one, it it is. You know, the whole SEC is on notice, and I know, uh, you know, what Josh Heupel's doing at Tennessee is commendable, and we'll see if they can take another step forward next year. And you know, but but Florida's in a in a rebuild. Um, you know, it seems like you know Shane Beamer's doing a good job, but he's not. It's not good enough to beat Georgia just yet. I think we're setting up for a run here where Kirby Smart's just going to dominate the SEC East for at least another two three years, and uh, you know, possibly play for more t- championships and. It's just uh, it's going to make it that much more tough on everybody in the East. 
Let's look at the matchup of TCU's defense versus Georgia's offense. Do you think TCU's defense has what it takes to slow down the Georgia offense? I don't know. I mean, I, a few people I've talked to that cover TCU, they, they're, they believe in the secondary. They think the corners can do a good job. they got a couple of good hard-hitting safeties. I've been told that there's been some concerns with the linebackers, that they – they have good linebackers, but they don't know if, you know, if Georgia keeps coming at you with the ground and pound and the three-headed running attack, you know, late in the game, or those linebackers kind of playing on their heels and getting pushed back to five, six, seven yards to carry. That's, that's going to be really interesting to see how they come up and, and plug the gap and, uh, you know, and have to try to cover those tight ends out of the backfield. It sounds like Darnell Washington's going to give it a go tonight, at least what I heard uh, yesterday. So, uh, if he does play with Brock Bowers, we know what a matchup nightmare both those guys are. There hasn't been anybody in college football this year that could prove, you know, that they can cover those guys consistently. I, I have big doubts that the TCU linebackers could suddenly do an effective job of it. So, to me, that's that's a spot I'm looking for. And then again, the seasoned, experienced Georgia offensive line is so good. I mean, Cedric Van Fraud. I talked to him in SEC media days. That guy's just a big monster up front. And, all the different pieces they have, they just wear you down, man. I mean, if you saw the, the second half of the SEC championship game, LSU's defense, defensive line, they were gassed. They were tired from getting pushed around by Georgia's O-line. You know, how does TCU respond late in the game? So, yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting. I mean, again, they, they've come up with big plays when they needed to, but to me it feels like they've come up with the bigger plays on offense when they've needed it. Um, I'll be curious to see if it comes down to TCU needing a stop late to get the ball back for their offense if they can do it or not. Speaking with Chris Gordy of Hogan SEC here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. Uh, Chris, uh, you know, we talked about Georgia, and then TCU's kind of on the other side where, you know, if they win this game, it's going to be, without a doubt, uh, a program that has had success, don't get me wrong, but a program that a lot of people probably wouldn't have envisioned just a year ago would be playing for a national championship do you think that that's anything as far as changing the landscape of other teams like TCU where suddenly they get this boost of, hey, it is possible. Hey, we can do this. We may not have the five-star recruits every year, but we can put it all together and make it happen. Do you think that opens the doors and floodgates for other teams like TCU or do you think this is just kind of a flash-in-the-pan, one-time deal? I would lean towards it's more flash-in-the-pan, uh, but keep in mind what's going to happen next summer. I mean, you're going to have – uh, you know, the, the Big 12 expansion with Houston and BYU and, and Cincinnati, uh, you know, the expansion happening. And it, it, it's going to be interesting what the message it sends to those guys. That suddenly, you know, Dana Holgerson at Houston is going, man, if I could just find the right quarterback in the transfer portal, you know, we, we, can, we can run the table here and have a chance. You know, it's amazing what's happened there in the Big 12, where we always talk about Oklahoma, Texas, Texas, Oklahoma. Look at who's been dominated the last, you know, at least in recent time. I mean, last year the, the the Big 12 title game was Oklahoma State versus Baylor. This year it was TCU versus Kansas State. You know, no sign of Texas or Oklahoma uh, as of late in those games. And they're the ones coming to the SEC. Uh, I think those two fan bases are going to be the ones to, to take the, the brunt of the, you know, hey, how do you like me now kind of thing uh, from the Big 12. If the Big 12 wins, wins a national championship over an SEC team, I think there's going to be a lot of people looking at Texas and Oklahoma going, hey, you guys thought the grass was going to be greener at the SEC. Yeah, enjoy you know, finishing middle of the pack while uh, TCU is crowned national champion. So there's a lot on the line tonight, guys. I mean, conference pride and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you're an SEC fan, maybe you're not necessarily rooting for Georgia, but 
man, I certainly don't want to hear any of these Big 12 fans getting in my face talking trash, saying, hey, Big 12 is better than the SEC. I'll, I'll pump the brakes real quick on that one. What's it been like in L.A.? What, have, have you seen more TCU fans, Georgia fans? And what are you looking forward to tonight? Uh, yeah, I'm not there, but I've, I've got some buddies who are all there that I've been talking with, and they said they couldn't they, – they went to one of the pep rallies yesterday. They couldn't believe how many TCU fans were there. I mean, like thousands and thousands of TCU fans. Um, you know, lest we forget, like this is a fan base that has a lot of money, but the Dallas-Fort Worth area, like it's a lot of very prideful fans that have not had anything to, to root for to this extent with their program. So – I mean, you've got a lot of people who went all in on buying tickets. I wonder, I mean, Georgia, I think it's going to be well represented. But keep in mind, a lot of lifelong Georgia fans, you know, spent their life savings last year to go see Georgia win the championship and root hard for them and, and see that at the comeback and all that. I wonder how many were willing to shell out the cash this year and go all the way to L.A. where everything's way more expensive. SoFi Stadium where there's no environment at all, you know, football environment and all that. I had a friend who went to an event the other night. It was a VIP event where Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler were there. And he was just like, dude, it was so yuppie, yuppie, L.A., look at me. Everybody's taking pictures for Instagram and stuff. And he's like, dude, where's the college football ambiance? Like, where's Joe Blow fan, you know, with a, with a big beer belly drinking a six-pack? Like, there's none of that in L.A. So it's weird, man. I mean, I really – I hate to be a, a snob, but, like, I think we should stick to – the national championship being, you know, south of the Mason-Dixon and keep it, let's rotate Atlanta, New Orleans, Houston, Dallas, Miami. Like, let's just keep it in those warm cities where there's actually college fan bases there and it, and it can feel like a little bit like a college atmosphere because I couldn't believe the no tailgating thing. Like, that, what are we doing? We're taking away one of the most passionate things that we associate with college football. We're taking that away from the national championship. So we can have the CEO of Coca-Cola there tonight, the CEO of Dr. Pepper. Like, it's just, it, it ruins what college football is all about. But, hey, it's all about the dollars and cents. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I think TCU is going to show out very much tonight. There's a lot of fans there in L.A. And uh, I expect it to be maybe a close to 50-50 crowd. So we know that uh, with the uh, college football playoff, and it's going to be expanding uh, here very soon. And, you know, I know it's something that we always talk about and everything, but uh, just kind of looking at the, the process of how it's gone so far with four teams and then moving forward, obviously there'll be more games. But uh, what do you think is going to be some of the, the biggest differences or at least the, the biggest draws from when the playoff finally does expand? Uh, will they still stick with the – you still think that the whole, you know, playing in the home campuses, that's something that will stick and actually happen? Or do you think that they're going to continue to try to do uh, neutral site games just because of the bidding and because of the money that can be brought in from that? Yeah, it's a fine line, John. I mean, you you know, if it were up to me, I'd play even more of these games on college campuses because that's what makes college campuses great and, and the atmosphere. I mean, you know, think of Georgia having to go play a game in, in late December up at Penn State in a playoff game. You know, like that that is just awesome because it's a game that, would, that wouldn't normally happen otherwise, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the Big Ten bitches all the time that, you know, the SEC teams don't want to go up north and play them. Well, how about in a playoff where they might have to? Um, I just think it takes so much away, and you're right. I mean, it, it, the, the bowl games and then the entities that own these bowl games, you know, Atlanta's not bad. Like, playing the Peach Bowl, um, you know, as a neutral site playoff game, I guess it's fine. It's just, it feels like it takes something away from it. If we're going to play a playoff game between, 
you know, let's say it was Georgia and, uh, I don't know, Georgia and Miami, and they have to go all the way to Dallas. It's just like, why? Like, those two fan bases, they're in Georgia and Florida. Like, they should be playing somewhere central to that location, not having them trek all the way over there, or, God forbid, you know, L.A. being a host site or, or uh, you know, San Francisco or something. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. You know, the Fiesta Bowl, I know fans who have got their teams have gone to the Fiesta Bowl, and they had to think long and hard about, you know, playing a thousand bucks on a hotel room and airfare to fly all the way out to Phoenix when it's just not centrally located to where their teams are. I just, it, there's got to be some balance about behind what makes college football great, keeping the games on campus versus having to go to these neutral sites. And it hurts the fans and the players and, and all those people that have to pay, sell out all the money to, uh, you know, to trek to these, to these places that are far away from where their home, home team is. Chris, what are the Texans doing? What's the direction there? Back-to-back seasons of firing a coach after one season. <laughs> Not a great look, right? I mean, the, the, the bigger issue here is, uh, you know, Nick Casario, their, their GM, they go and bring him down from New England. Uh, he's a guy who learned under Bill Belichick. But, you know, they, they, they hired David Coley year one, and from what I understood was the thought was we're going to try to tank and try to get the number one pick. So they hired – Coley, who never even was a coordinator before as a head coach. And he did a good job. He stunk. They got, you know, they had a top three pick. And, you know, then this pass off season, they wanted to go off the radar. They wanted to hire Josh McCown, the former quarterback, as their head coach. And they were about ready to hire him. And then that's when the Brian Flores lawsuit came out. And, you know, all the narrative of black coaches not getting enough opportunities came out. And the Texans are looking at themselves going, well, we just fired a black coach after one year. Now we're going to hire a completely unproven white quarterback to come be our coach. And I think they got scared of the optics and looked in the room and said, well, Levy Smith's already our defensive coordinator. Let's just promote him to, to head coach. And everybody loves Lovey. He'll be a lovable guy. And so that's what they did. The only problem with that decision was the team actually got worse this year than they did a year, you know, from a year ago under Coley. So uh, they regressed this year, so they had to make a move. But – now you're on your third coach in three years. Like, they've got to hit a home run higher with this iron. So I expect them to take their time on, on this third because you got to hit it right. Um, you know, they're going to have the number two pick. It's sounding like they like Bryce Young a lot out of Alabama. You know, I expect the Chicago Bears will probably go Will Anderson from Alabama number one, uh, you know, if they don't trade out of that spot. So Texans are in a great spot. If you, if you hire the right head coach, you get Bryce Young at number two, this thing could turn around very quickly for you because uh, they also have the number 12 pick overall from the Browns, the, the Sean Watson trade. So they got some assets, but, man, do they have to hit the right hire here. Well, Chris, we appreciate you joining us, man. Enjoy the national championship game tonight, and I know we'll be catching up with you later down the road, all right? Yeah, it's almost hard to, to get right on the basketball court. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, we'll do our best. I'm sure that they'll be listening and they'll listen to our words, man, but we'll make it happen for you. <laughs> Thanks, guys.